And now, for the first time in color, the 38th Academy Award. And welcome back to The Snub Club. You know, with any truly great motion picture, the only thing that dates it really are the fashions of the time. The podcast with the movies that have the most Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever. This is the night devoted to one man, Oscar. Hello, and welcome back to The Snub Club, the podcast where we talk about the movies that have the most Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever. I'm your host, Danny Vincent, currently dealing with the greatest cold ever storied. And I'm Hugh Jackman. Oops. This isn't the greatest showman. Just kidding. I'm Sarah. <laughs> it did pop up on the Amazon shirt search when I looked for it. I don't know, man. I'm one of the disciples who's in this for some reason, even though I only speak in my introductory scene. I'm Caleb. All right. Now, as the listeners might remember, we are talking at the 38th Academy Awards! Where it was uh, 1965, there was two films with ten nominations: Doctor Zivago, which I mispronounced again, I know, and The Sound of Music. They both won five. Then there was a movie of eight nominations called Ship of Fools. It won two. There's a film with five nominations called Darling that won three. There were three films of five nominations that won only one. Those were Cat Blue, The Great Race, and A Patch of Blue. Then there was a film called The Agony and the Ecstasy, Ecstasy, which had five nominations and no wins. But we talked about it last time. So today we're talking about the other movie, Five Nominations, No Wins, and that is The Greatest Story Ever Told. Sarah, what was The Greatest Story Ever Told nominated for? All right. Uh, The Greatest Story Ever Told was nominated for Best Art Direction, Color, for Richard Day, uh, William J. Kreber, uh, David S. Hall, which was a posthumous nomination, uh, Ray Moyer and Fred, excuse me, Ray Moyer, Fred M. McLean, and Norman Rocket. Uh, they lost to John Box, Terrence March, Marsh, and Dario Simone for Dr. Zhivago. Day was nominated 12 more times and won seven. Creeper was nominated two more times. Hall was also nominated for Wee Willie Winky in 1938. Moyer was nominated. <laughs> Wee Willie Winky. About? <laughs> it's about what? Wee Willie Winky. <laughs> Moyer was nominated eight more times and won three. McLean was nominated two more times, and Rocket was also nominated for Tora, Tora, Tora in 1971. Uh, Best Cinematography Color for William C. Meller, which was also a posthumous nomination, and Loyal Briggs. Uh, and they lost to Freddie Young for Dr. Zhivago. Uh, Meller was also nominated for Peyton Place and won two. Briggs is nominated two more times and won one, as well as one honorary for outstanding achievements in creating special photographic and sound effects in the Paramount production Spawn of the North. Uh, Best Costume Design Color for Marjorie Best and Vittorio Nino Novarese, and they lost to Phyllis Dalton for Dr. Zhivago. Uh, Best was nominated two more times and won one for The Adventures of Don Juan in 1950, and Novarese was nominated two more times, including The Agony and The Ecstasy that year, uh, and he won two. Uh, Best Music Score, Substantially Original for Alfred Newman, who lost to Maurice Jarre for Dr. Zhivago. Uh, Newman was nominated 35 more times and won nine. And Best Effects, uh, Special Visual Effects for J. McMillan Johnson. Uh, who lost to John Steers for Thunderball. Uh, he was nominated four more times and won for Portrait of Jenny in 1949. Portrait of a Jenny on Fire, right? All right. No Oscar nominations for that one. Yeah, uh, Jenny on Fire, yeah. Um, Caleb, do you want to give historic context or should I give ceremony stuff first? Uh, well, you know, do y'all even want me to do it? Like, it's the Bible. I like, can talk what, about the Bible. What do we need? Um, what? What's that? <laughs> no, uh, I mean, I looked up stuff about religion in the 60s, but uh, I don't know. You do the you do that, and then I'll decide whether or not I actually want to right. bore y'all with this stuff. This was the first Oscars ever in color. Before this, everyone only ever wore black and white clothes to the Oscars. This is it. This is when they finally allowed other colors to be shown on TV. Other important details include the daughter of the president, Linda Bird Johnson, attended the ceremony with George Hamilton, 
as her escort. One, there's an entire paragraph about how Sound Music and Dr. Zivago made this the most commercially successful Oscars ever in a way because these two films are still in the top 10 most financially successful films of all time in the U.S. just for inflation, which, though, to be fair, just for inflation is a bunch of... It doesn't matter. You know, I, I hate to be, like, not to get, like, on a soapbox here. I don't really want to, but, like, people always go, like, well, really, you think about it, The Force Awakens didn't make that much money because it's not, it's not even in the top 20 of all time. Like, if you look at it just for inflation, like, well, that's stupid because all these movies that are in the top there exist at a time before, like, home video was a thing or streaming was a thing. It's a different market. It's okay to move the goalposts so that way we can have excitement of things being successful. That's just my take on box office. Anyway, uh, Sound of Music was the first film Best Picture winner without a screen nomination since Hamlet. Um, it's the last one until, can you guys guess what the next Best Picture winner without a nomination would be? A, a writing nomination? It's a very high profile Best Picture winner. Wins Best Picture, no, no screenwriting, no. It's very high profile. I, I, just, guys. Come I, on, I no? just need to I just need to pick one movie and that always be my answer. So I'm gonna d- start doing that. Crash. Okay. Sarah. Um I do think this is something that if you think about it, you can get it. It's not that tough. It's a very high profile one. Why are you gaslighting me right now? Uh, <laughs> well, why don't we just I give up like know. Caleb? Titanic. It is Titanic, yes. Because <laughs> it was a big deal that Titanic did not... I, remember, I actually was reading an oral history because, you know, when James Cameron was on the promo tour for Avatar 2, it was also like, I think, wasn't that the 30th anniversary of Titanic, right? Or the 25th? Something like that. 25th. 25th, yeah. So they were like, here's the oral history of Oscar night. And it's like, yeah, a lot of people were mad I didn't get into writing now. Blah, blah, blah. And of course, he's going to say that. But also, it's like, it is kind of weird. It didn't even get nominated. Mm, he didn't really deserve one, in my opinion. I think that movie's... I think that movie I think deserves a, a nom- I think it's a good movie. I don't think he deserved a writing now. Here's my opinion. Because people were mad at the top... T- the, sorry, sorry. At the Top Gun Maverick nomination, I think that's a perfectly fine nomination. That movie is as well-constructed as a blockbuster can be. I think the same thing can be said about Titanic. I'm not saying it should win. I'm saying... You're saying it's not the top five of the year. It's like... That movie's not successful about a screenplay. You know, Titanic. Anyway. That's my take. Sorry. Uh, Othello became the third of four to date with four acting nominations. That one for Best Picture. I don't know I'd have you guess the last one we haven't got to is yet, but I don't have that information and I'm not going to look it up. And finally, you start in Othello. It was Crash. Oh, is it? Uh, wait, no, no, it wasn't. No, I, was like, I believe you. I was like, wait, Crash. No, who would have even been nominated? For Crash. <laughs> I think it was just Matt Dillon. I'm pretty sure of the actors in that movie for Crash. But anyway. We'll get the crash someday. Um, but the last thing I have is that the king of the snub club is also the king of directing nominations. And that, of course, being William Wyler. Um, he has the most directing nominations ever. And he has the most snub club movies ever so far. And as far as I'm aware, unless Scorsese or Spielberg get another one in there before we end this show, we'll remain up on the top, the top level. But anyway... William Wyler got the last of his 12 director nominations with The Collector, which I'm curious only had three nominations, so it never had a chance to qualify for this podcast. But yeah, that's all I got. Okay, I'm going to keep this very short and sweet. Religion in the 60s. Uh, so post-war, I, the reason I'm, I decided to take this approach instead of trying to talk about, I don't know, the Bible, is because I was like, well, there are a million different adaptations of the gospels what like what was influencing this one what were the religious kind of uh influences on it and because it's the dominant religion in america there were several but in general after world war ii during the cold war the idea of the protestant christian became uh more and more politicized as a way of differentiating americans from um from communists and so you started to see that kind of open up a door for um an evangelical political movement that wouldn't really take form until the 70s but you start getting bits and pieces of that here and you can see some figures uh that would go on to influence that like pat boone and john wayne in this movie today however while this was also going on the uh, steady decline of people attending church and identifying as christian 
began, and that has obviously continued on today. Um, however, this was uh, the 60s were notable because that means it was the first generation of kids who weren't raised in the church or getting some form of religious education. Obviously, there were still a lot of kids who were, but you started to see this downward trend that continues today. Um, notable events that happened, like obviously everything with the civil rights movement, and we kind of talked about that with the Cardinal. You know, the black church was very uh, integral to uh, making leaps and bounds forward, and the white church was uh, not always on board with that. Um, Vatican II happened in the mid 60s, which had a lot of uh, progressive reforms. For the Catholic Church, progressive reforms. Too, I just immediately think of like it's like new Coke, but for the Vatican, it's like Coke too. Yeah, this one, uh, this one actually stuck around though. Um, progressive for the Catholics, being like in huge air quotes, but probably the biggest one of this, uh, besides like some changes to the liturgy, was that the Catholics officially decreed that Jews weren't cursed for killing Jesus, which um, was yeah, let's like, get rid of anti-Semitism, yeah. yeah. Should have taken you, <laughs> should have taken you to the '60s, but yeah, sure. Uh, there are still a lot of Protestants who think that, so you have one up on them. Um, and then, of course, in the end of the '60s into the early '70s, you would get the Jesus movement that would um, kind of reclaim a lot of uh, kind of the, the dead momentum of the hippies and create um, a certain type of charismatic evangelicalism um, that would morph uh, and create things like uh, contemporary Christian music and stuff. But that hasn't technically happened by the time this movie's out. And so you anyway. know, those, those are back right now, you know, for the, uh, for the, I, I saw them during the Super Bowl. It's like Jesus gets us, right? Those are, those are still going on, right? The well, Jesus yeah, thing. I mean, <laughs> no, but it does relate to something that did come out this year, the Jesus Revolution, which if you want to see a very My mom questionable, questionably accurate version Go see it. Hey, what accurate? What'd you say? Sorry. Questionably accurate. Yeah. Well, my mom was very positive on it and kept saying, I'll take you to it, Danny, if you want to go see it. And I was like, uh, can we go see Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And she didn't want to see it, but then I overslept. So the greatest story ever told. All right. Full disclosure. I'm sick. Uh, so I watched this, but I don't. Here's my basic take on it. I feel like this exists to be a thing you show in Sunday school to pull clips out of. Be like, this is what we're, we're talking about today, kids. Or this is what we just talked about today, kids. And then you go on with the lesson. As such, me trying to sit down for three hours, I feel like even if I wasn't sick, would have been a struggle. But when I'm sick, it's just very much like, a, uh, all right. <laughs> very much me kind of tuning in and out of the movie. Wish I could give more attention, but also doubt it really would have captured it much. So, I don't know. I'm not very hot on this one. Um, I think that this is unquestionably the worst movie that we've watched on this podcast. I also I think, it's one I, of the, I think it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Uh, relating to that Sunday school comment, I thought that maybe I actually had seen parts of this movie before um, because when we got to the crucifixion scene, I remembered. I watched a movie when I was in maybe seventh grade uh, that had an extremely graphic crucifixion scene where the nail went through his wrist and they showed it and it caused a lot of problems for me later in life. And this was not that movie. So <laughs> I can't even say that. I can't even say I have any connection to it. The thing that made me think I've seen this before is the John the Baptist scenes. Because I, I swear, maybe that's like how John the Baptist is always depicted. But I'm like, I feel like I've definitely seen this John the Baptist and this Jesus in this scene before in like Sunday school sometime. But yeah, I do think it's yeah. pretty. pretty I, I'm I'm probably going to be nicer to it just because I'm sick. So I'm like, I don't know how much this is a movie or this is me. But I'm also like, if eh, it still didn't have a good time. Um, I did see this at church growing up. Uh, it wasn't on a, it wasn't Sunday school, but it was on one of our Wednesday night things. Uh, shout out to all my royal ambassadors out there. Stockade. Um, what? Ours is called Stockade or Wednesday night thing. Uh, um, no, it was yeah, it was one of those where they didn't have enough leaders, so they brought everyone into a room and they put on this for. Usually, we got a Veggie Tales episode. I don't know why we like. Why do we talk about Veggie Tales? I've done a podcast on that before. Yeah. Um, like anyway. I've done a podcast on Cars 2 before. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, this movie, 
has no artistic merit. And um, there, there are two things I find interesting about it, and it's a four-hour movie, so that should show you that there are some problems. No, I just you can't make a you can't make an interesting movie that is ninety percent of the dialogue is ripped straight out of the Gospels. The Gospels are not a script. Like you have to have a certain amount of dramatic tension and uh, development in the movie that this just doesn't have kind of by the merits of its own approach. Yes. That is definitely something I was thinking throughout. This is like, this is, I know how, cause you know, last time we talked about how, Oh, the agony and the ecstasy is kind of like the prototypical biopic in a lot of ways. Um, but I would say this is like the prototypical bad biopic, even though obviously it's more like, it's more trying to be like a biblical epic type of thing, but it's very much, here's the entire Wikipedia article. Enjoy. <laughs> There's going to be no real arcs here. We're just going to cut from scene to scene. And I know you're not going to get an arc in a Jesus movie anyway. But I would argue that Jesus has the ultimate arc. (laughs) I don't know. I went to the bathroom during that scene. I just know it's God. Um, I just feel like this is just like atrociously bad i just think the act (laughs) like the acting is just like so bland and just there's one moment of acting which i'm sure we'll talk about that i absolutely love we'll just talk about i think this is gonna be a short episode i really do i don't think we're gonna Um, just talk about it right now i I love john we don't have plot summary stuff so it's gonna be like like, i mean if you don't know the plot by now um (laughs) you're jewish or something i don't know (laughs) i wouldn't say that but okay I I loved John Wayne's line. I thought it was ridiculous. It was like the ultimate, like, I guess he really is Jesus moment. I did like that. Um, other than that, I thought the acting was very bland, very boring. I felt like everybody was going through their emotions. I felt like the entire thing was just for hardcore Christians to be like, he said it. He said the thing. And that's, <laughs> that's my take on it. You know, when you, one thing that really stood out to me is like, dumb is the scene where he gets the tax collector James or John whatever to join him. And you know, I expect this to like, you know, be depicted in a way that like would be like, you know, if you weren't necessarily Christian already, you would understand it. But like, no, it's just like he's like, all right, I'm gonna go follow that guy. And it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> like you could have figured out a way to like do this where it would like make sense <laughs> to anyone watching this. <laughs> yeah. And like honestly just even where they start with the nativity and stuff like if you don't know already i i don't think like you have no idea what's going on there like you wouldn't know that's a virgin birth like you won't really get the idea that's necessarily the son of god because messiah could just mean like something else and up until he heals the dude like there really isn't any true sign of his divinity like he just says out of context bible verses and they sometimes relate to the story i will also say that um and on the other hand i also think it ends too early it's just he dies and he immediately comes back like, that, that's it it's like wait 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 what i honestly i felt like i missed it a little bit because it was like they t- that's the thing too is they t- they use the romans to be like they use them to be like exposition and then they cut to like they talk about what happens and then they cut to like after it's happened with jesus so they're like i can't believe he resurrected and then he's like bye because <laughs> <laughs> then my whole thing was like you know to me this and i'm sure this wasn't the intent at the time because i don't think you know tv was i mean tv existed but it wasn't like oh the home video market you know is something to consider about but it's like if you're looking at this as something to like use bible stories in where's doubting thomas like, there's a lot of stuff after we just jump over and to be honest the ending would be more climatic anyway if we had the scene of jesus going like all right like we actually had his like goodbye scene not just like the well that's the end of the movie thing that we do get he has yeah there are a lot of really cool scenes after the resurrection where he's interacting with his disciples and a lot of them are kind of like he's punking them right like it's like oh they start walking with the man and the man's asking them what's up and they tell him about jesus and then psych it was jesus all along and like i don't know i think there's there's some good stuff to be mined there but there really isn't any establishment of 
the relationships he has with the disciples. Like the disciples show up and they follow him around and Judas betrays him. But other than that, there isn't like there isn't an emotional through line to the movie. When Judas is all upset about him betraying him, you know, wanting to betray Jesus, you're kind of like, but why? Like I wish we Your went, last line was hi, I'm Judas Iscariot. <laughs> in in the line the words of um I don't know, there's a joke that I couldn't make if I wasn't sick about bad Cinderella right now. But I'm not I'm sick, so I can't make the connections to it. Um But yeah, I don't know. I wish we were watching the golf movie instead. Um The greatest game ever played. I know. I know what golf movie you're talking about. I feel like I have a lot to say about this movie and I, well, I don't want to dominate don't I anything. don't want to dominate the podcast. <laughs> but um one of the one of the most frustrating things about this. So uh this was adapted from a book, but not the Bible. This was adapted from the book, The Greatest Story Ever Told, which was adapted from some radio uh a radio drama called The Greatest Story Ever Told, which was adapted from the Gospels. So the movie does credit it as um uh from the greater like from the old and new testaments of the holy bible and the greatest story ever told written by these people. <laughs> Which also like what from the old testament is here? Like it starts at the nativity. <laughs> yeah, I, they never flash back to like Isaiah. <laughs> but I think like, it's like wait wait, I have to ask. Wait wait. Caleb, you watched all this on Amazon, right? Yeah. Sarah, was your version that you watched, was it like as bad as the Amazon version? No, I watched the Amazon version. Oh my gosh, guys. Not that the version I saw was improved at all, but I was like getting a migraine from watching the credits of that Amazon version. Um, the Amazon well, version yeah. is like VHS quality. Listen, I'm less of a quality hound than you are, Danny, and I see a lot of these movies we watch in standard definition because I don't get the DVDs from the library, and sometimes you just have to make do with what you can find online. I was astounded by how bad Amazon's version was. I'm used to bad <laughs> versions of these movies. I was, I was like floored by how bad this on a professional streaming site but i know amazon lets on any crap but still no yeah from what i saw from what i saw it it literally looked like someone like uploaded a vhs rip that they bought on the corner to amazon i I thought it was funny i felt like it set the tone for me (laughs) they remind me there's these old um like old viral videos like 2006 2007 era viral videos on youtube of this guy who took another uh, Jesus movie and dubbed over them, and Jesus had like a like a stereotypical gay voice, and he would yell at people for watching That's football and stuff. Early internet days. <laughs> um, I love those videos. Uh, that those in like their 140p looked about the same as this. <laughs> oh, but anyway, Sarah, what were you going to say before I start talking about the the quality? Because I was curious. I just- I feel like there's no excitement for this guy. I just feel like when he's born, you know, it's just like, it just doesn't feel very exciting. I think there's way too much talking with the Kings. There's just, they keep cutting back to the Kings. It's so boring. It's because that's what David Lean signed on to do. That's why. (laughs) I just, (laughs) I just thought it was so, I just, and it's like, when he shows up, he's so calm. He's so, and it's just like, even like, the part where he's in the market when he starts throwing sh- throwing shit around. I was excited for that part because I wanted to see him go crazy. He didn't even really do that. So, <laughs> Man, I'll just tell you this. I'm George Stevens and, and uh, David Lean offers to direct some of my movie. You bet I'm not cutting any of the stuff he directed. <laughs> well, there were several directors on this movie and originally they wanted Lean for the nativity stuff and Lean was like, no. That's boring. I'm do this. Um, I actually liked I liked Jose Ferrer in this a lot. I, I think say, he was the only good actor. Uh, I was reminded just how like he, if he celebrity voice acting was a thing back then, he would have been really good at it. He's got a very nice voice always in these in the stuff we've seen him in. 
Well, and he's he's like his expressions are good. I he his character does have an arc because like his father committed genocide to get him like the throne, and then he immediately had it taken away by the Romans. So when the Romans come for his help, he's throws some under the bus essentially at the end. Like that whole arc, I'm not saying it's amazing, but it is the only arc in the movie. So I did enjoy it. Um, the other scene I enjoyed was with Donald Pleasance, uh, the Matthew four sequence where jesus is being tempted because it does something that the rest of this movie doesn't do and it takes some like artistic liberties with it i thought you were still gonna keep going going. (laughs) Uh, just just in the sense that it's like this guy is not explicitly satan and they mix up some of the they mix up some of the verses so that there's a little bit more of a push and pull there and it just makes a lot of sense this movie is like way too grounded and should like lean into supernatural stuff more because you have Jesus there. Why not? But there, like that is the one scene where it kind of worked to make it grounded because it felt like a more honest, uh, like it, it felt like it was testing Jesus more than if it was like some grand spectacle with the devil showing up. We all like Donald Pleasance. So I do. I like, one of his movies, at least. Yeah. The greatest story ever told, right? <laughs> You're damn right. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jesus. I don't know what to say about this. I just feel like um, th- there's just not. I mean, like I said, there's just no excitement. I feel like part of it is like they don't want him to be too cool because then people are going to be like, that's not the son of God. But like, he just like, he, all of the followers and all the disciples, they just don't seem very thrilled to be around him. You guys think there's a good way to make a Jesus movie? Yes. I was hoping you'd ask this, but because uh, you won't be on the next time we talk it about first. it, I know. That's why. Before before I go on my big rant about that, I took a walk today to plan out. Do you what what do y'all think? Can you make a good Jesus movie? Um, what I do is I hire Phil Fisher and Mike Nowaki to have vegetable Jesus, where it's basically Veggie Tales, but Jesus is the only human, so it's like Muppets too. <laughs> and it, it explains to you why the vegetables believe in God is because they've never seen another per- human. Um, I would set it in modern day and cast Jim Carrey. I thought you were making a joke about that new Netflix show, but no, no, no I see what you got because <laughs> there's a new Netflix show coming out that's basically modern. There was day that, that's an old show, unless they're unless they're making a new modern. They're making a new show. show that's produced by Mark Miller. Oh, I think there are. <laughs> I think there are a lot of ways you can go about making a good Jesus show. Uh, or a good Jesus movie. They did make a show. They've made a couple shows. You uh, heard about the show, quality. The Bible? <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway, um, here's how you do it. Either one, you focus in on an episode of Jesus's life. There are plenty of them. Like, you can do, you can lean in a lot there. One of the problems here, I think, is that it it tries to balance Jesus as a miracle worker with Jesus as the leader of the disciples with Jesus as a political figure and then Jesus also as a teacher. What you do is you focus in on one of those. You don't try to mesh them all together or you just do like one segment of his life. Um, I would especially like to see like you lean in to his relationships with the disciples because that's obviously like something that exists, but it isn't explicitly talked about in the gospels that deeply because the gospels are about spreading teaching instead of like like proposing a narrative Um, except kind of John but that's a whole theological discussion that we don't need to get into but so there are a couple different ways you could do that you could also go like fully irreverent and I think that's fine too I love Life of Brian I don't think that's like sacrilegious or anything but it is very much uh, a parody of biblical epics like um, Greatest Story Ever Told and is poking fun at religion Um, you know, there However, is, I do want to mention before you go on, just so that way listeners don't get mad at me for not mentioning it when I saw. I know one of our regular listeners, I saw this with them. Uh, I do think The Last Temptation of Christ is a wonderful film. Great Jesus movie. 
Um, yes, and th- and I think that's kind of what you would have to do if you were to expand on his relationship with the disciples and kind of what Jesus Christ Superstar does. You make sh- you make stuff up, which I think is fine. <laughs> and the Jesus Christ Superstar is how I was going to get my bad Cinderella joke in, but again, I'm sick. But anyway, go on. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but I'm fine with you making stuff up. I'm fine with you making it a joke. All these stuff are good. But there is one story that I think is the best that you could possibly do. <laughs> you think it's the with greatest story ever Jesus. told? <laughs> you know, it might not be the greatest, but it certainly is the greatest that, that stars Jesus. It doesn't really star Jesus, and that's the point. Ben Hur. I love Ben Hur so much. I don't think I've got the chance to talk about it on any of my podcasts, but it is one of the foundational stories. Like, it's that Narnia Christmas Carol and, like, I don't know, like Three Little Pigs or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> ben Hur shaped my childhood in such a profound way and how I saw stories. And what is so cool about that story is it is about this is about this made up dude, Judah Ben Hur, and he interacts with Jesus once in the entire story. You see Jesus, if I remember correctly, three times. You see him, he's born, and that set up that kind of initiates the plot with Ben Hur because Ben Hur is also born around the same time and he has to be uh, smuggled out of Galloway. Galloway Galilee, so he doesn't die. Um, and then you see him when Ben Hur is framed for an assassination and he is being taken to a slave galley. That is when he interacts with Jesus and Jesus shows some kindness. And it is a scene that he constantly goes back to and informs how he moves forward. Then at the end of the movie, when Ben Hur is trying to get revenge on the Roman who framed him, there is it's set during um, during Holy Week. So the presence of Jesus is constantly talked about and felt and characters are discussing it, but it doesn't like you don't directly see it until the crucifixion. And that one interaction with Jesus completely shifts Ben Hur's life. And that's how you do it. You said it. Obviously you don't have to remake Ben Hur. They tried that in 2016. I saw it with it you. Was I saw it with you. I remember. You are the reason I did not leave the theater because I was like, I cannot leave Danny Stranded. I drove us here. I just the Marion Theater, sir. If you're wondering, the where we saw My Little Pony. We did. Yeah, that is true. The midnight showing. <laughs> where I was when there, so I was screaming at it. <laughs> but the point is, if you're not gonna, if I was like, I'm not touching that. Moving on. <laughs> if you want to make a movie and you don't want to add too much to Jesus or you don't want to make a joke out of it because you want it to still be something that Christians will go to see and you don't want controversy. The way you do it is you do it with Ben-Hur. You cannot touch Jesus as a character. Jesus is not a character. He does not have character development. He doesn't really have like depth. His, he has one driving force and that is this you know, that's his divinity and stuff. And that's that doesn't make for a relatable character. That doesn't make for a character that you necessarily want to follow through a story. But it does make an aspirational character and a character who can have effect on people's lives. I think Ben-Hur is, a, is like an amazing piece of literature. I think the old movie is great. There is a radio drama by a very homophobic company that is also great, but I won't shout it out because, like I said, they're very homophobic. I there is so much you can do with the idea of Jesus affecting your story, but you do both those ideas and you know him as a historical or religious figure a disservice when you try to make it about him. Go see Book of Clarence coming twenty twenty three. Oh, I don't know anything about that movie, and I hope Sarah doesn't know anything about it that could open us up to litigation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've only heard the I've only heard the log line. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, I'm actually looking forward to it because I did like um, the harder they fall, pretty good. Probably. Wouldn't be as big a fan of it now because of certain actors in it, but eh, what can you do? Um, but no, one day I should watch Ben Hur, but probably not at home. I'm actually really surprised it's never shown here. You know, it seems the type of movie that is there. If there's something no longer to print, I'm surprised I've never played it at the music box. By the way, I meant to tell you this off mic, but I guess I can tell you now. Um, they're doing a Wes Anderson fest in June at the music box. 
So I'm very excited. Only four, though. Caleb likes Wes Anderson. We'll never talk about Wes I Anderson do. on this podcast because Wes Anderson never gets nominations besides screenplay. <laughs> I, I do like Wes Anderson a lot. I like Wes Anderson and Ben Hur. These are the things I cannot talk <laughs> so about. So the on answer my podcast. is we call those evil AI people. Be like, make us Wes Anderson, Ben Hur. Well, you can just call <laughs> anything like- Wes Anderson now. You just film a video, be like in the style of Wes Anderson. <laughs> those AI companies, you know, they constantly will put out those things where it's like, here's a. Here's Avatar. I saw today. It's like, here's Avatar as if it was Wes Anderson. It's just Willem Dafoe as a Navi. It's like, this is stupid. Stop it. Knock it off. <laughs> but yeah, you should have them do that for Ben-Hur. It'll be a perfect movie. I feel like I was just having a conversation with Scott about this the other day. Because um, I was talking about the Cleopatra show that's on Netflix. Because it's causing controversy. It is causing controversy because they made Cleopatra. She's played by a black woman. Now, Cleopatra, <laughs> I guarantee the people that are angry are the people who think that Cleopatra was an Egyptian woman, but that's neither here nor there. I feel like, to a certain extent, these historical figures become fictional characters. I just feel like it really does not affect the Cleopatra series that she's black because it's like so far separated from modern day that they're going to make stuff up anyways. And I feel like Jesus has kind of reached that point. Um, I'm not going to argue about whether or not what he did was real, but he was a real person. And I feel like at a certain point you can, you know, obviously there might be people who do that the wrong way and might cast like Kevin Scorbo and Dean Cain and stuff. <laughs> I feel like Caleb is right. I feel like you can make a movie that's about Jesus and maybe just make it a little more interesting. I mean, maybe move things around a little bit more. A little bit, a dash of a little bit of spice. I think it all comes down to 2016 and Andrew Garfield's career choices in 2016. Because on one hand of the spectrum, you've got silence for Christian filmmaking or like filmmaking that involves Christianity. On the other hand, you have Hacksaw Ridge. It's always somewhere in those two brains. Mel Gibson or Martin Scorsese? Sarah, I do want. Well, <laughs> I have to choose one by default. Um, I will say so the version that we watched, they didn't show Jesus getting tortured and beat up and stuff. And I feel like you could probably fit in the Passion of the Christ into that little window. <laughs> Um, yeah, you certainly <laughs> could do that. Um, been a great way for me to turn off the movie. <laughs> All right, should we should we move on? I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sick. What was uh, the last? I'll... We all started talking ahead, at the same time. What was the last good religious movie? Silence. Silence. Okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, there might be something good in between them. Silence. Like something Silence that's like true. I'm talking like your breakthroughs, your your God's not dead, like those types of movies. Well, let's see mm. if Letterbox, if someone on Letterbox has made a convenient like Christian movie list, and then I can that, just sort it by watch. That Sarah would imply that there was ever a good <laughs> independent Christian movie. I like this. Uh, uh, Christian movies ranked by how unlikely they are to make someone lose faith in God, and in fourth place is First Reformed. Which I guess is a good movie too, but I don't know if I would qualify it as a Christian movie. Uh, I mean, I consider it a well. My thing is like, is definitely informed by it. And when you go into like Paul Schrader's background, he is definitely coming from a very uh Christian context. So I would count it. Is Christian influenced, if nothing else? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm looking at this list. It's like uh. I think it's just first reformed and silence to me that would qualify as Christian movies that are, but they're not even like the ones you're talking about. I wish there was just a list. I wish we could sort Christianity as a, Oh, you know what was a good one I saw recently? It's not English, but it's called Corpus Christi. But also I don't think that would qualify as the type you're talking about either. Maybe like one of those. Someone who impersonates a priest. The, um, the, 
bio oh man i can't i always get the name mixed up um i still believe i think is the the biopic that one's fine i think it has some weird messaging in it because it kind of glorifies cancer in a weird way but it was it was a competently made movie what about exodus gods and kings i, I did like, not see that one what about like one of those dog movies a dog's dog? purpose. Those aren't, those aren't Christian movies. They're about reincarnation. Are you sure? They yes, seem kind of, the, they've got they've got Dennis Quaid in them. They got they got the vibe. Yes, <laughs> they're they're not they're about reincarnation. So no, <laughs> not what that um, is about. Is Lady Bird qualify? I know you don't like I, it, Sarah. I no. count Lady Bird. Uh, Lady Bird had a profound effect on my my uh, religious. Uh, thought at the time it came out, so I count it. But it, it's one of those again where it's like it's coming from a Christian context, but it's not a Christian movie. Christians, the way they approach movies and music, can't make art. They, it's incapable. They can only make commercial products because they are way too didactic in their messaging. They won't allow like the areas of gray that create like the the difference between the artist's perspective and the audience's perspective. And it's that arc between those two things that makes art. Christians are incapable of doing that because they're think they're like art has to mean something. But beyond all that, I don't think they care. They just want to make money. That's the problem with CCM. CCM ju- like they only make decisions based off of what they think will play on Christian radio and what people will buy in Lifeway bookstores. Probably less so that one now, but since all the bookstores closed down. But I'm sorry. I get very angry about this stuff because I am a Christian and I do consider myself an artist. And I, I don't know. I, I just I feel like I have had to fight so much of the way I was raised to be able to express myself artistically, and it's very frustrating. Now, Caleb, I appreciate that honesty, but should I try to get you a gotcha right now? Because <laughs> I can go for it. Absolutely, go for it. <laughs> Um, so you tell me that you don't consider Catholic Catholic people to be Christian because uh, Martin Scorsese is Catholic. <laughs> no, but no, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about individuals here. Like Lauren Daigle, I'm sure has like a very big passion for ripping off Adele or whatever. But the company, like the record label she's working for, that is what's driving like everything. And I'm not saying that secular record labels or secular film studios are better. But just there, there's more honesty there. So yeah, Martin Scorsese, I think is like, I think Silence is my favorite movie. I think that he was able to say so much about like both crisis of faith, but also like whether or not Christianity has a place within certain cultures that is way more challenging than anything I've ever seen before. I think that there's a lot of artistic merit to Silence, but like. You can't. He was over, able to overcome the business side of things, kind of. I mean, that movie bombed for a reason. I mean, but it bombed because it a, didn't release it. But go on. <laughs> yeah, but like in 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 a Christian system, that could have never happened because it wouldn't because they would have seen that and it would have been too challenging. So, like individuals within Christianity, I think, are more than capable of making art. But I think that those systems that the art goes through shaves off every little bit. And you can say the same thing about Marvel movies or, like I said, pop music or whatever. I I think that there is criticism to be shared across the spectrum. But I think that I have more personal investment in challenging the systems that, you know, release Christian art in big quotation marks. All right. I agree. I'm too sick to really add anything. Sarah, I think yes. on that we can start wrapping up. Sorry, Caleb. I'm not trying to like be dismissive or anything. I just have nothing to add. No, I didn't think this was gonna get me so angry. But I am I am a little I am a little angry right now. And I think it's it's a good time to wrap up before I say something I regret. All so, I'll say is hopefully this is the only movie that has both an actor that shares an actor with God's Not Dead 2 that we watch. Oh, so. who's in it? Who's in this one? Pat, Pat Boone. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> well, Sarah. Yes. Remind me what this was nominated for. Well, for some reason, 
I was nominated for Best Art Direction Color, Best Cinematography Color, Best Costume Design Color, Best Music, Substantially Original, and Best Visual Effects. All right, so this is incredibly easy for me. I'm giving it to something that never you can give it to, which is one of the reasons I kept asking, like, so, sir, where'd you watch this on? Uh, so if you watch this with the actual aspect ratio it's designed for, it does frequently look very beautiful. There's a lot of attempts to recreate paintings here that honestly pay off well. Uh, if nothing else, this movie constantly looks really good on my DVD copy of it. So I'm giving it cinematography. I'm sure neither of you feel comfortable giving it that because you watched the version that crops it and looks bad, I assume. But I'll give it cinematography. Well, now I'm going to give it cinematography because I don't like being told what to do. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You can give it something else. No. I'm giving it um, cinematography. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think I can... I, I can still tell when the shot's good. Well, we have nothing, and your argument is persuasive. So. I actually did have one that I was going to give it to, but I didn't like that. I didn't like the tone of what you, how you spoke score? to me. So. Was it score? Because I was thinking score, too. I was thinking score, but don't say that. I said cinematography. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can still tell if a shot's good, even if it's in low quality, Danny. Um, well, it's not even that it's low quality, though. It's also as cropped. It was very cropped. Yeah, but that you're I missing mean, half the shot. You can't say, "Oh, I can tell this is great." I didn't see half of it, but it looks good. I still, think, I still think I have enough education in film that I can understand what makes a like a well composed shot, <laughs> even if I can't fully appreciate it. Um, yeah, and also I don't like I don't like the costumes or the art direction here. Maybe it's because like I've seen a billion things that are set in Bible times, but I'm like I, I feel like all of this is kind of. So also, kind of we're not supposed to compare, but like compared to last time, this is the same year as Agony and Ecstasy. Those both were way better in that movie. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, I'm going to give it cinematography. <laughs> okay, great, guys. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, Adonam, then, I'll be really mad if I ever you get, take mine. Nope, I'm not this going is first. This a bad movie. I'm not going first. This is a bad movie. Um, Jose Ferrer was fine. He gets a supporting actor. I genuinely I don't have an answer. Um I don't know. Maybe Donald Pleasance and I pretend that it's for Halloween instead. <laughs> All right. So my answer was pretty locked in once I realized about 20 minutes in the movie that this is not going to do for me. And that is because in, we have, in another episode of ours called Blackboard Jungle, I infamously gave the nom to Vic Morrow for Best Supporting Actor, whereas everyone else on this podcast gave it to Sidney Poitier. So when I saw Sidney Poitier was in the movie, I was like, all right, it's time for my redemption. Sidney Poitier shows up for five minutes at the end, looks sad at the camera, has no lines. I'll give him a nomination. Who else would I give it to? I've never given him a nomination on this podcast before. Now Who's the wanna... most distracting celebrity to pop up in this? I mean, obviously John Wayne. <laughs> John yeah, Wayne is just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, you guys want to know what we're doing next time? Sure, can't be worse than this. has nothing to do with religion. Well, Sarah, what if I told you was? <laughs> How could you possibly know? I don't know. But I will say, and it is, uh, well, drumroll, please. Uh, it's 1966. The 39th Academy Awards of eight nominations and no wins. It's Robert Wise's The Sand Pebbles. Number three hour long movie. This one has a cool cast, though. I like Robert Wise. It's got Steve McQueen, Richard Attenborough, Candice Berg, and Mako. James Hong, probably in a very small role. Does this character have a name? Yes, Victor. So maybe he will have a decent size role for James Hong. So are you excited for this one? No. Why? Because it's about missionaries? If it's about missionaries, I'm 
quitting. Um, I just I don't really like war. I don't like war movies. I think they're boring. I think that it's three hours long. I it's three hours long. I just am not. I'm not interested. Respectfully, I'm not interested. You're anti Mako. Yep. Oh my gosh. We're going to talk about Avatar next time. I was team Bolin. Oh, okay. I will say, I one of the podcast ideas I'm keeping in my back pocket um, is one where I watch religious films. And the last, you know, 10 or so episodes of this have really made me want to not do that <laughs> podcast anymore. <laughs> The answer is instead, we finally do my Adam Driver podcast, where we only talk about Adam Driver movies. House of Gucci! Gucci, Gucci! Gucci! I am staying. House of Gucci! I am staying. I do not stand. He's going to be at the Indianapolis 500. Caleb just walked away, so I guess that ends the episode. <laughs> Caleb was like, I'm done here. No more House of Gucci. Um, but anyway, uh, Caleb came back, guys. Don't worry, the episode isn't over. Um, I'm Benny Vincent. We follow my letterbox at Blankman's. You listen to my other show, Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar Journey. I look for an ocean with Pixar. I probably spoiled the succession finale there by now. Check it out. Actually, I know for a fact I haven't. We've recorded every episode up to when this one will be put out. But anyway. I'm Caleb from Caleb from the Real World. From there, you can find my litany of other podcasts. Hey, if you want to hear me be sad about religious movies, I, I'm working on a review for Jesus Camp. You can check out my letterbox at The Myth King. Um, and uh, thanks to our editor, Joe, who does some podcasts with me. Whatever. Thanks, thanks Joe. Joe. Please Thanks, have me on to talk about Dog Man soon. Please. Um, you can find me on Letterboxd. <laughs> Just my name, Sarah Kadaro. You can find me on Instagram, S-G-K-E-S-S-G-E-K-Y-29. Uh, you can find us, The Snow Club, on Facebook, The Snow Club, Instagram, Snow Club Podcast, Twitter, Snow Club Pod. All right. We'll see you next time with the Sand Pebbles by Robert Wise. Yeah. Movies. 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 Praise the Lord. I saw the greatest story ever told starring Shia LaBeouf and Spencer Breslin. No one is going to give the episode an actual ending. Okay, I'll just keep talking. Until someone else says something that can actually be like, the day by... We'll see how much Joe puts in. Bye.